Today's episode of the Cloudcast is sponsored by Datadog, the monitoring platform for cloud scale infrastructure and applications. Datadog provides dashboarding, alerting, application performance monitoring, and log management in one tightly integrated platform, so you can get end-to-end visibility quickly. And it integrates seamlessly with AWS, so you can start monitoring EC2, RDS, ECS, and all your other AWS services in minutes. Visualize key metrics, set alerts to identify anomalies, and collaborate with your team to troubleshoot and fix issues fast. Sign up for a free trial today, and Datadog will send you a free t-shirt. Visit datadoghq.com cloudcast to get started. That's datadoghq.com slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody's doing well. We are getting very close to Halloween by the time you listen to this. Hope everybody's stocked up on candy, have enough so that the uh, the kids aren't egging your house because you don't have any candy for them. So with that, let's go ahead and get right to the cloud news of the week. Kind of a little bit of a busy week, uh, just in terms of announcements, a couple of different types of announcements this week, which were kind of worth noting, news and noteworthy. Um, first is uh, Splunk, who has been sort of on a acquisition tear this year. They had acquired SignalFX earlier in the year for a little over a billion dollars, uh, agreed to acquire Streamalio. Uh, and I'm, I, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce that because the URL and the, the name kind of blurred together. So it's StreamLIO. Uh, I'm not sure if that's Streamal.io or Streamilio. Um, anyways, uh, Streamilio, open source distributed messaging leader. So uh, in, the, in the messaging space, uh, obviously we're seeing more and more people doing real-time types of applications. So uh, Splunk wants to make sure they can get in on being able to, uh, to monitor those and provide insight on those. So interesting to see Splunk continue to make acquisitions in this space. And if anybody knows the proper way to pronounce uh, Streamilio or Stream, Streamilio, uh, let me know. Um, the second was uh, a lot of musical chairs going on in the CEO space, the tech CEO space. So um, a couple of interesting ones. Um, SAP's CEO uh, stepped down, resigned after about 10 or so years, uh, stepped down as CEO. People weren't exactly sure where he was going to go. Uh, yesterday, he popped up as the new CEO of ServiceNow. So um, you know, SAP's former CEO, uh, or at least the, the U.S. CEO, uh, moved over to uh, ServiceNow. And ServiceNow's CEO, who previously was just sitting uh, on the board of Nike, board member at Nike, is now the CEO at Nike. So interesting to see a uh, you know, technology CEO take over at Nike. Uh, obviously, the two previous ones, uh, both Phil Knight, who originally was there, and then the uh, the one who recently left. Uh, you know, lots of sort of athletic background, uh, kind of more in the design space, sort of entrepreneurial space. Um, seeing them move in a digital direction is sort of interesting. I know a lot of their business has been moving towards digital, moving towards online. Our buddy Nick Weaver, who's over at uh, Nike, uh, you know, working on some of those projects. So interesting to see uh, Nike make that uh, make that shift in terms of the focus or the background of their leadership. Um, the uh, sort of famous MPLS, uh, Mario, Prem, Luca, and Sony uh, from uh, sort of Cisco fame are back in the news today. So um, their company, Pensando, who has been around for a little while, sort of in stealth, just took a very, very large round of funding, um, bringing up their funding to about a quarter of a billion dollars. They took about 135 or $150 million in funding. 
and uh, and John Chambers is the uh, chairman of the board of Pensando. So interesting to see um, that crew back. Uh, they in the past had always had this nice uh, way of um, extracting money out of Cisco and starting their company and getting Cisco to fund it and then getting Cisco to acquire it. Um, Cisco was not in the uh, funding round for this one. This was uh, HP and a number of others, or HPE and a number of others. So very interesting to see if this is a uh, sort of a vengeance play against uh, against Cisco and Chuck Robbins, who had sort of kicked MPLS out of the company. Uh, if this is another round of uh, coming back uh, Pied Piper style for John Chambers. Um, always a lot of sort of interesting politics around how uh, how MPLS and John Chambers and others had uh, had brought new technologies to market. And um, this is yet another sort of hardware and software play from this crowd, uh, which is which is interesting because they position it as, uh, you know, taking on Amazon Web Services, which is um, kind of a weird a comparison between a gigantic cloud provider with lots of software assets and uh, somebody building hardware and software for boxes and so forth. So, uh, and then the last piece of news, and this is sort of the stuff, the work that I do on a daily basis, uh, the Red Hat OpenShift platform, uh, Red Hat OpenShift platform, um, uh, GA their 4.2 release. So for those of you that follow Kubernetes, um, this has sort of been a long time coming in terms of the 4.2 release, having support for all the major cloud platforms, all the major installation styles, and then a ton of new stuff. Uh, around trying to help developers that uh, build applications on top of Kubernetes. So if you follow Kubernetes or you follow OpenShift, uh, the new 4.2 release is out and something that I spend a lot of my time on when I'm not doing Cloudcast stuff. So with that, we're going to get to our interview. Kind of an interesting interview this week. Um, You know, last uh, uh, three or four weeks, we've done a little bit different than some of the technology um, deep dives that we typically do. This one is, again, a little more focused on the business side, uh, really focused on kind of the SaaS world and, uh, you know, how people uh, bring SaaS products to market how they get them into the marketplace, how companies interact with them, and, and how to streamline those processes, because that's a huge part of sort of the SaaS equation of, uh, you know, how do you make businesses successful is uh, how do you bring them to market. So interesting interview. Hope you enjoy it. And with that, we will wrap up Cloud News of the Week. Today's show is sponsored by Pricing Wire. Think about all the time, effort, uncertainty, and everything else you are investing into the software solution you're building. Pricing Wire has helped more than a thousand software and technology innovators like you Take a proactive approach to both discover and get paid what you're truly worth. From early startups to Fortune 500 enterprises, across verticals and around the globe, PricingWire delivers easy-to-understand and actionable recommendations to guide your monetization and pricing strategy. If you want to avoid unnecessary challenges or costly regrets and prevent missing time-sensitive revenue opportunities, PricingWire can help. Just go to PricingWire.com and book a strategy session today. PricingWire helps technology innovators like you design the right offerings, Better quantify and message value, set and change prices, select the right pricing metrics, or even decide if usage-based pricing is best for you. Why wouldn't you want to achieve your revenue goals faster and with more confidence? Learn more at pricingwire.com and start making meaningful progress today. And we're back. You know, folks, for anybody who's been a longtime listener of the show, you know that a lot of times we do tend to focus on you know, getting deep into the technology weeds, uh, we tend to maybe skew a little bit more towards some of the IaaS and, and PaaS types of technologies that a lot of you are, are using to build your systems. But, you know, more and more, we're finding ourselves, uh, whether we're, we're talking to you as the listeners um, or we're beginning to introduce new topics, that, that the topic of SaaS and, and all the different aspects of SaaS really are kind of fascinating to you, whether it's how the technology works to a certain extent, you know, API integration to different services or the business models. We did a great show with Neil Akani a few weeks ago. Uh, and your feedback has been, you know, we'd, we'd like to learn more about SaaS. It, it's playing a bigger role in, in our decision making. We know that the, the groups within our organization are using more SaaS. 
And so we thought it'd be interesting to dive into that a little bit more, maybe a little bit more on the kind of sales enablement, buyer enablement side. And so excited today to have Nicholas Vandenberg, who is co-founder of Chili Piper. Nicholas, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here today. Um, a little bit, you've you've got a, a very kind of diverse background, broad background um, around uh, SaaS companies. You've been uh, founder and CEO of a number of them. Can you tell us a little about your background and and you know some of your experiences prior to Chili Piper, and then kind of what uh, drove you to to found the company? Sure. So I'm, I'm a tech entrepreneur. I've done uh, this is my fifth company. I actually caught the bug um, in the mid '90s. I came to Stanford Business School and. Uh, with the idea of traveling the world and uh, I ran into Steve Jobs at the time and I thought uh, this is just the coolest job in the planet to create this company that's what I want to do so I, I started my tech entrepreneurship career back at the time I've done several several startups uh, that have grown and sold in different uh, spaces I've done consumer software I've done biometrics I've done some other things of this nature I've also had a, an interesting experience in in 2009, a friend of mine uh, called me and tell, told me he was starting a company, uh, and he said, "Then we have two billion dollars in funding." And I thought, "I've never heard of a startup with two billion dollars in funding." And the idea was to build a telecom company in the U.S. It was a company called LightSquare, and I joined that founding team um, initially in sales, but quickly I, they asked me to take over as chief information officer. So I. Um, had this unique experience of being the CIO of a telecom company in 2010-11. And at the time, we were the first to actually bring um, all the uh, strategic systems of a telecom company into the cloud. Uh, it was uh, a very interesting experiment. I heard the news on your podcast uh, last week or the week before, uh, AT&T moving its IT to the IBM cloud, which seems the most natural thing in 2019. But in 2010, uh, people thought we were crazy to put telecom uh, gear and, and, and IT gear in the cloud. So um, I have this dual perspective. Uh, I also spend a lot of time in sales, uh, running sales team uh, or selling things myself. Uh, and that's what led me to start Chili Piper. I look at how the industry is changing or the sales process is changing. And I thought, you know, the... The tools that salespeople are currently using uh, and no longer adapted to, to how the market is functioning. It's time to be much more focused on the buyer and, and helping the buyer uh, through the process. The existing technologies like Salesforce, the CRM, automate internal processes. But what's really uh, critical now is, is the external processes. Make sure that your, your, your buyer has a good experience all the way through from, from initial engagement to a renewal. And that's why we started Chili Pepper. Yeah. No, I think it's, I, I think it is sort of fascinating. I've been, you know, I've been on the side of, of, of vendors who have been, you know, selling technology to different companies. And, uh, you know, I, I think back, you know, 10 years ago, even, um, we were, we were as the, as the seller, kind of the primary educator of, of the customer base. We're educating them about the market. We're educating them about products. Nowadays, uh, as I get a chance to talk to different companies, uh, you know, you walk into meetings and they not only are educated about the market uh, through various sources, they uh, they know about your product, they've probably downloaded it or they've had a trial with it. Um, you know, it's it is a it's a completely different sort of process and stage. But I'm curious 
from from the you know seller's perspective and, and the way that you look at it from a SaaS perspective, can you can you give us a bigger picture of maybe some some of the steps that are involved and maybe some of the steps that you've seen um, either get eliminated or you know change over time? Yes, well, the SaaS model is 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 completely uh, transforming uh, how, how IT is getting bought. Um, there's something that. Um, for some reason, is not often spoken about. Um, it's the change in the in the speed of techno- technology acquisition and the length of contract. So it used to be that uh, companies would spend twelve to fifteen months to evaluate a, a technology, make a decision, and the, the contract was five to seven years. I remember when I took over as CIO at LightSquare, the guy before me had signed up contract with Oracle. They were all at least five years. There was an all five-year contract. Now in, in, in SaaS, you, it's very rare to sign a, a two-year contract. I mean, sometimes it's a quarterly, it's even monthly. And um, companies are able to go from one vendor to the other much more easily. Another uh, thing that have fundamentally changed with SaaS is switching costs. Switching costs have, have reduced dramatically. That's mostly because of the ease of integration. So now there's an OAuth process where uh, you can connect anything to Salesforce, anything to Gmail, anything to Office 365 in two clicks. Also, APIs are much more uh, frequent. So most companies like we do at Chili Piper, we integrate with, with dozens of different APIs uh, as part of our development. So this, is, this has meant that the buyer has the option to try something, run it, and if he doesn't like it, then, or she doesn't like it, uh, switch to something else quite, quite easily. It's much easier than it used to be. I remember um, when I was at Light Square, uh, a proposal came on the table on my desk for a, a, a three-quarter of a million dollar project to build uh, some additional developments around SharePoint, the Microsoft uh, SharePoint. And I looked at it and I said, okay, well, uh, who is using SharePoint in the organization? And uh, the answer was, well, we don't know. We just thought it was an interesting project to do that. I um, asked my my system administrator to go and look at the logs and see who, who had logged in the instance in the last uh, I don't know, six months. And we found that there had been 21 people in total and seven people uh, really seriously. So basically that thing, we were going to spend a three quarter of a million for something that was never used by, 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 by our users. That doesn't happen anymore. If you if you have a SaaS offering and you see something is not used, you're going to just terminate the contract immediately. It's part of the, at any renewal point, you're going to wonder if this is really, really getting value and and uh, and decide to, to uh, continue or not. So the, the, the speed uh, has completely changed this. They, uh, also, the availability of solutions has uh, uh, blossomed. So I was looking at the Windows sales tech. There are 850 solutions in our space. In MarTech, there's about uh, 1,500 different solutions. So there's now all these possible options on, on tools to be used and the ability to try them, combine them, then churn them. It's a completely different dynamic that, that uh, we're seeing that. So in this world... As part of uh, this different dynamic, it changes the, also the uh, level of transparency from vendors. Because in the past, you know, if you would 
as part of a product suite, one of the product was a bit weaker, then you would still bundle it and, and, and just sell it. And, and that was it. You had a five-year contract and nothing to worry about. Now, if you if you have a lemon in your product line and, and you're going to stuff it to your buyer, uh, it's going to bite you back uh, six months later. And, yeah. um, and it's not worth it. So, so that's one of the key... Uh, Observation before I started Chili Piper that 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 it is now a, a much more collaborative approach between buyers and sellers. It's no longer about negotiating and hiding information, but buyers and sellers are much better off sharing information and and being transparent and honest and uh, working together. So that's also a very uh, a big change in the dynamics of of, of the market. Yeah, no, I mean, you, you highlighted a number of, of like really, really kind of eye-opening things and, and sort of important things. I know um, for some odd reason, I was looking one day about SaaS offerings that were being promoted to like the construction industry. And I thought, oh, okay, well, that doesn't seem like a very high-tech industry. And it was like you said, there was not five or six, there were tens and you know maybe hundreds that were that were targeting that and and you you know you highlighted another important thing which is they they each individually will target some little piece of somebody's supply chain or some little piece of somebody's process you know it could be how a contract is done how location is found how something else happens um, and you you highlight how important it is that um, you know companies now have the option of saying you know I don't want to be stuck with your big uh, you know, suite of portfolio. If if I only want one or two pieces, I'm just going to use those pieces and I'll augment them with with something else. So um, you know that that applies to sort of like IT centric sort of problems, but they also apply to you know to marketing and, and sales problems. And it is um, it is very interesting how there is this massive variety of choice, and then there's so much disaggregation to to try and sort out and make make useful. Yeah, exactly right. You're exactly right. Of course, uh, another piece of of, of uh puzzle is the fact that uh, software development is, is is much cheaper now so you can do uh, you can do a lot more I, i'm amazed by the speed at which uh, our engineers move uh, I, I remember back in the day our cycles uh, when i did consumer software it was a 12 month cycle or 18 month cycle we would build something would take 18 months now in in 3 months you can build something uh, that's actually very useful. And so you're right, now it's possible to build solutions that are very specific to particular problems, like you mentioned, the construction industry, a particular piece of the problem. And because everything is integrated, uh, then companies can say, oh, I want that piece, that's useful to me, uh, and, and mix and match the different pieces. So it's it's a very. Uh, I think it's important to understand the breadth of the dynamics you're now dealing with. They don't they don't really fit into the kind of old business school models of of you know kind of linearity or uh, you know like like you said lack of transparency that make the business effective. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. And um, go ahead. Yeah. No. I want to I want to highlight. I want to hit on a little bit. Um, you know what what Chili Piper does specifically around helping sales and marketing. Um, you know today companies would, would probably tell you, well, you know, we, we sort of know how to do that. We've got, you know, channels for selling things. We put up a website, um, you know, maybe people come for a trial. Give us a sense of, of where you fit into that, into those pieces and, and how you, you know, help enable it and, and hopefully make them more successful, more productive, but also more importantly, stay connected with those customers so that you don't have shelfware, you don't have lack of usage, you, you know, people are, are, are encouraged to be using the product because it's making them more productive. Yes, absolutely. As I mentioned earlier, the, our, our focus is on technology that's actually uh, customer-facing. So it's technology that, that helps the buyers. 
uh, we call that buyer enablement, which is the the, the uh, um, idea of uh, of uh, building technology that's going to make the buyer's life easier. So we're looking at uh, uh, supporting the relationship between the buyer and the seller, and we we enter this market. Uh, basically, we we're looking at places where there are inefficiencies, right, uh, and and when both buyers and sellers are suffering. So our current product is uh, something called concierge. It, it, it's actually strikingly simple to, to explain, and, and yet we're the only ones with, with that solution. Until we, we, we launched it, um, companies, sellers would have a website, spend a lot of money in marketing, bring all these leads on the website. Then they would ask the leads to fill a form, and when the, the prospects fill that form, you would get a thank you page that say, thank you, somebody's going to call you. And you say, well, who is going to call me and when? Right? And then you get a call maybe an hour later, maybe a day later, maybe never, and, um, and then finally engage with, with the buying or with the seller. And the amazing thing is that uh, companies were losing, losing typically more than half their pipeline through that, that uh, wrong process. So what we did is we said, well, let's build software that integrates with the form that does all the qualification and routing in real time and connects with the seller immediately. So when you submit the form at the prospect, you immediately uh, face with the option to be able to talk on the phone with the right person or to book a time for a later conversation on the calendar. So the, the, the prospect can uh, engage with the seller in two clicks immediately uh, immediately after filling the form. That seems uh, obvious, looking back, but but uh, we're the only ones who, who, uh, who are offering this solution. The reason why there was this breakpoint is because the form is typically the responsibility of uh, marketing in an organization, where the follow-up is the responsibility of sales, and both departments have typically optimized their processes, but not the cross processes. So the buyer is left on his own, waiting for marketing to follow up on, uh, waiting for sales to follow up on marketing, and. Um, suffering from a very poor experience as a result. So that's, that's our current product that's, that's uh, at the initial engagement level. We help the buyers have a much better experience. And what happens as a result is that the conversion rates uh, typically double. So our customers who deploy a solution uh, go from conversion rates uh, around 35 to 40% to conversion rates in the 70 to 75% uh, just because they make the, the buyer's life easier. So the way we think of it is that uh, we, we, we've done the work for the initial engagement, but all through the life cycle of the relationship, uh, there are also some other breakpoints that need to be addressed. One of them is in, in the sales process, uh, what typically happens is that the champion on the buying side is going to uh, say be convinced that uh, buying the solution is a good idea, but then he has a lot of work to do to convince internally uh, all his teammates that it's the right solution. And um, until now, the seller was, it was not the seller's responsibility to to do to help the buyer. They would just go on their own. And now we're thinking, well, you have to help the buyer. Things move fast. The decision is going to be moved fast. Uh, they may go with a competitor if they have more information from the competitor. So you have to help uh, help your buyer in that process. That's, again, what we call buyer enablement. And then all the way to the renewal, where, where uh, the buyer is going to have to make a decision to renew or not. And it's it's in the seller's interest to make sure that the buyer has, has all the right information. There's information sharing uh, that needs to happen at the renewal uh, stage is something that is not well done today and that we will address also uh, in our future products. Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting, there, there's sort of an interesting parallel uh, you know, on the on the on the technology side, we talk a lot about this uh, this concept called DevOps, where um, you know you're the 
in order to deliver software faster, um, you've got to have better coordination between you know the, the developers building software and and it getting into into production and then being managed from by operations. And you know we talk about that a lot in the context of um, you know both of those teams may optimize themselves to to do what they're supposed to do, but in a lot of cases their higher level goals aren't necessarily aligned, right? And I think what you're kind of highlighting is uh, you know sales and marketing may very well think that they're doing exactly what they're doing today is is very good, um, but but the handoff is not optimized. The the goals that they're that they're measured against individually aren't. Uh, indicative of you know how well they work with the other group. It's did I get enough leads? Did I spend the money the right way? Sales is obviously quota driven. Um, it's interesting to see the parallels and what you're trying to do to build technology to bridge those two. Yeah, it's a very good uh, analogy. Actually, in, in our space, there is uh, something very similar to DevOps. Uh, it's the emergence of revenue ops. So there used to be marketing ops, uh, sales ops, as completely different department now. Companies are merging these two into uh, what they call revenue ops. It actually uh, spans all the way to customer success. And the idea is that all the tools and enablement has to be optimized, just like you said, across these departments, not department by department. As of today, only pioneers are actually using revenue ops, but for sure it's a trend, just like you, the analogy you use with DevOps, a trend that's going to, to be a, a growing trend. Because the... Uh, the benefits of going this way are massive, right? Like I mentioned, when, when you, you double your conversion rates on your inbound pipeline, uh, you immediately improving your, your top line. So it's very, uh, very clear what benefits you're achieving. And this, yeah. is, uh, this is going to drive that change for sure. Yeah, it's, it's interesting the parallels we see when we're all ultimately, like you said, trying to go faster, trying to deliver and enable things faster. You know, if, if at all possible, are you able to kind of share some, some real examples of how maybe some of your companies, your customers are, are kind of putting this to work and, um, you know, beyond just conversion rates, but maybe some of the, the ways that culturally they've, they've been making this, make them more effective? Uh, yes, sure. So, so um, the most striking example in, in our uh, um, customer base is uh, one of the large networks. So you can guess uh, which one. That, that found that if they can uh, entice their existing customer, so not prospect, existing customer, to talk to a sales uh, executive, that sales executive is able to raise their spending. It's in the case of a small business by 50%. So what they did is that they, they deployed a solution within their application where uh, when customer takes certain action, they say, hey, why don't you talk to our expert about it? And they're going to connect immediately or book a meeting with our solution immediately. And um, that connection is going to result into an increase. So in, in this case, it's typically an increase uh, expected value of $50. So that company that we work with uh, has now deployed worldwide in every country. Uh, they book uh, more than 20,000 meetings every seven days. It's a it's massive operation. And as a result, every seven days through connecting with the customers, they, they improve their top line by a uh, million dollars. So it's a million dollars every seven days uh, by better connecting with, with their uh, customers. I think at that scale, you can guess uh, which company would, would, would uh, have this level of uh, small business um, customers. So that's one example of, of facilitating the engagement with your customers is just going to result in, in immediate uh, top line dollars. We have a, a lot of other companies uh, using more on a more traditional use case of the uh, inbound. So there's a company called Grow, 
uh, that did um, some research. They, they had the traditional process of uh, having prospect fill a form, having a sales development rep call that prospect, uh, have a chat, then book the meeting. And they were plateauing at uh, 40% conversion because you lose a lot of, of, of prospects. They, they disappear. Or they're no longer interested. So when they integrated concierge into uh, their solution, they used some uh, data augmentation to make sure they could qualify in real time the prospect and then book directly with the account executive. And as a result, what happened is that uh, the number of meetings held uh, nearly double. It went to 72%. Uh, from, from where they were, and that again translated directly into uh, directly into top line. Yeah, no, it is uh, it, it it is fascinating what happens when you when you are sort of actively involved in, in processes, whether it's sales or, or anything else. Uh, let me let me wrap up with one sort of last question because obviously um, we've talked a lot about about SaaS and, and the things that are sold through SaaS models. Um, have you found, and, and maybe this doesn't exist, but are are, are any of the things that that you work on? Um, able to be applicable to other organizations, sales and marketing that maybe aren't SaaS centric, maybe are you know more contract based or so forth, or even just kind of best practices you may have found that helps them adapt better um, if they're not you know, kind of doing these these everyday contacts with with companies and customers. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we, we we do have customers uh, uh, of all types. Uh, actually, one of our customers is the LA uh, Film uh, School. Uh, and they book. They use our software to book a meeting with prospective students. Another company is Remote Here. This company you may have heard of, where people travel around the world for twelve months. Same thing. They use our solution to engage with, with their prospects uh, in real time. The idea, idea of engaging better with your buyer is completely uh, general. I mean, everybody would benefit from it. Uh, whether you're selling cars or, or, or classes, it, it, it just makes sense. The reason why SaaS companies uh, have been our early adopters is because they, they are uh, under more pressure to compete. It's a more active market, and, and they need to move fast. Uh, but it's, it's a general trend. That it, will, it will cover every industry one after the other. And I'm mentioning uh, right now a concierge product that helps this initial engagement, but it's the same thing with uh, the, the later stages of the relationship. You get used to interacting with companies on your iPhone in a very pleasant way, and then when you move to the world of business, you expect the same level of, uh, of service, right? You expect to be able to uh, find the information you want in real time, uh, talk to the person you want as soon as you want to, and that is just going to be in every, true in every industry. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh, and, it, and it, it does make sense that the the tools apply best to sort of SaaS companies. There, uh, they do fit a little more of that kind of what you'd call a greenfield model. They're not they're not bound by a lot of sort of legacy process and and so forth. And they're really out trying to change the behavior of people. So, uh, but it is good to hear that that, that it can be applicable to that. Because I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up with that. Um, if folks uh, want to engage with you, want to engage with, with Chili Piper, what are some of the best ways to go about doing that? Uh, well, they can come to our website and experience our solution. Uh, if you go to chili, chilipiper.com, so it's a play on the word, right? It's chili uh, uh, with one L, C-H-I-L-I, and then Piper, P-I-P-E-R, together, chilipiper.com. Um, they can request a demo or a meeting with us, and they will experience our product uh, immediately uh, in real time how we can engage with them on the phone and video or through a calendar uh, instantly. That's probably the best way to get in touch with us. 
Very good. Well, folks, um, you know, like we mentioned early on, uh, you know, this was a little bit different than sometimes we do. We go real deep on technology, but hopefully this gave you some some better perspective on, you know, the evolution of what's going on um, with SaaS, how it's how it's helping companies uh, not only look at opportunities, look at them more granularly. And uh, Nicholas, thank you so much for the time today. It, it provided us a lot of very, very good insight. So, well, it's been a great show. And we want to thank again our sponsors, Datadog and Price and Wire for sponsoring today's show. You know, it's easy to learn more about Price and Wire and book a strategy session at pricingwire.com. So with that, folks, I want to thank you all for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for rating the show and all the other ways that you help us grow the community. So with that, we're going to wrap it up and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 